Wow, has the last five months not been uh, different? Uh, this morning I got up and it was the first time in about five months that it seemed at least normal to a degree. I know as we look out you say, this is normal. Well, maybe the new normal at least for a little while. Uh, and we welcome especially those who are watching online. We're glad that we can offer our services both here and online. Let me begin by asking you to imagine this in your head, if you would. Uh, if you were to take out a piece of paper and a pen and write down this simple response, how has your life changed in the last five months? What would you write down? How has your life changed in the last five months? You know, as I thought about that, I, I thought about, you know, a lot of people's lives have changed in dramatic ways. Some people would say, you know, I've lost a loved one. We think of the Jim Lawson family. Jim was such an important part of our church family, and, and, and I know that his entire family have uh, missed him tremendously. Some would say, I've lost a job. And I know that there are people who are hurting financially. Maybe their job, their salaries have been cut, but boy, their life is very different. Others are dealing with, you know, sickness in the family, loved ones who perhaps are struggling. And I know that there are others who have lost loved ones as well to the virus. I have an aunt right now in the hospital just outside of Memphis who's been in the hospital now for two weeks with the virus, 75 years old. Uh, she's doing much better for that. We're very grateful, but it was a touch-and-go situation there for a while. And then what about the visits? You know, hadn't our lives changed in the people that we see? June and I went almost six months without seeing our grandkids. Almost six months. And, and one of our grandsons turned one at the end of May, and so we had not seen him since Christmas. Imagine saying to your grandfather, you know, Paul, I hadn't seen you for half my life. For a one-year-old, that would be the case. And I mean, I didn't know if he would even know who we were. And of course, I have no clue if he did or not. And then there are those who the only contact they've had with parents or grandparents has been through the windows of assisted living or a nursing home. And how many people have had to go to the hospital and literally drop off their loved one and not be able to stay there with them? My uncle has not been allowed to stay in the room or even to go and see my aunt now for two weeks. Our lives have changed. Drive-by funeral visitations. This last Friday, uh, Sister Darlene Oliver lost her mother. Her father passed away just a few weeks earlier than that. And, and both of them was drive-by funeral home visitations. And then I think of the, just the funerals and the weddings, both, on both sides, that have had to been made very private. I've never done funerals with just ten people present, but I have since this uh, pandemic has broken out. And then I think about all those who have had graduation ceremonies. Boy, have graduation ceremonies changed, right? Very, very different approach to that. And then, of course, the one that hit me the hardest, eating out. I mean, eating out, I was like, wow, what happened? 
Uh, June and I, up until this last week, we were on vacation last week and ate out uh, in, in a lodge that we were staying at. But other than that, I'd eaten out one time during this entire pandemic. Now, let me say that June's had a wonderful experience. She got to uh, experiment on all kinds of dishes, some that were very good and some that were, well, let's just say she won't be cooking those again. But, I mean, we've been eating a lot at home. And then, boy, what about these? I mean, wearing face masks just, you know, everywhere you go. How our lives have changed. And then, of course, church. Here we are at church, and, and we are just faced with the reality that it doesn't look like it did five months ago when we were last here. And, of course, if, if you're like me, you know, I grew up as a uh, S-M-S-N-W-N-G-M-B-B-S Christian. I don't know how many of y'all were that. What that simply means is I was a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, gospel meeting, vacation Bible school Christian. In other words, my family were at church. We were there every time the doors were open. And, and not only were we there, but church is what framed and structured my week. I don't know about you. How many of you during the pandemic have had moments where you ask yourself, what day of the week is it? I mean, I mean, look around how many people. I have, I don't know how many times, turned to June and said, what is today? And, and she's like, I don't know, you know. I mean, we're, we're both confused. Why? Because church is what defined our week. Now, if you grew up in the church like I did, especially in North Mississippi, I don't know about Middle Tennessee, but in North Mississippi, one of the most frequently quoted verses of the Bible was Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And boy, this verse was quoted, read, preached on. You were expected to be at church or else it was a sin. Boy, hasn't that changed? I mean, not to be able to assemble with the saints for almost five months is just unbelievable. And of course, I know that some people probably are still struggling with a verse like this one here. By the way, can I tell you that those of us who are preachers took that verse out of context? We made it mean something that it was never intended to mean. And, and because of that, we, we put a lot of guilt on people that we shouldn't have done. And, and what the pandemic has done has forced all of us to realize that the theology of church has changed. The way we do church, the way we think about church, the way we think about assembly has all changed in the last several weeks and months. And as I thought about that, you know, how, what do we do in the midst of chaos like we find ourselves in? You know, that passage from Hebrews 25 was written to a church that was in a far worse situation than we're in right now. You see, Hebrews was written to a group of Christians, probably in Judea, maybe Galilee, but they were Christians who were caught up in the middle of a rebellion. The Jewish leadership in Rome had decided that going to war, uh, the Jewish leadership, excuse me, in Jerusalem, had thought that going to war with Rome was a good idea. 
And the next thing you know, all of, of Judea and Galilee was in chaos as people were preparing to fight the coming Roman legions. And the church there found itself in an incredibly difficult predicament. Do you join in the battle against Rome... Or do you do what Jesus had said to do? When you see the Roman armies coming, you run. You get out of Dodge. You get out of Judea, out of Galilee. Which are you going to do? And so when the Hebrew writer wrote his letter to these just little groups of Christians scattered throughout Judea, he was saying to them, listen, assembly is more important now than ever. Because you do not need to get caught up in this and you need to be encouraging one another to stay faithful to Jesus. In fact, I love what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 12, 1. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What do you do when you're in a difficult time? You fix your eyes on Jesus. What do you do when your whole country is in rebellion? You fix your eyes on Jesus. What do you do in the midst of a pandemic? You fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, the Hebrew writer would go on to say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And while everything else around us has changed... Aren't you glad this one hasn't? He is still the same. Our text in our series called His Story is taken from Matthew chapter 3. And to me, it is so important for us to hear this text in light of what we're experiencing right now. Matthew 3, 16 to 17, Jesus has gone down to John to be baptized. And here's Matthew's account of it. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water... At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You know, when you think about Jesus' life and what was going on at this moment, uh, I, I think sometimes we fail to pause as we're reading through our Bibles to ask some of those incredibly important questions. In other words, the last time we hear of Jesus after his birth, at least until he's 30 years old, is when he's 12 years old. He goes to Jerusalem, and there you remember he stays behind at the Passover feast. His parents become worried. They go back. They finally find him, and then they go back to Nazareth. And then from age 12 to age 30, we know nothing of the life of Jesus except little hints found in particular places in the New Testament. Here's one of them. Mark 6, 3. When Jesus went back to Nazareth, his hometown, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? We see something of Jesus' life. He was a part of a large family. He had four brothers, at least two sisters. And what's interesting is, at least by the time he's 30, it appears that Joseph has passed away. After basically uh, age 12, Joseph disappears from the, from the narrative. And very likely he died. And if Joseph had died, what then role did Jesus have? He would have assumed the role of the head of the house. And so here was Jesus living in Nazareth through his 20s. And what is he doing? 
He's working as a carpenter. Now, a carpenter is a word which really means construction worker. This is a picture here of the road in a nearby town or city. You see, Nazareth was located on a hill up in Galilee. It's a very small village. I mean, there would have been only a few hundred people at most that lived there. But if you went about four miles over the hill, you came to the capital of Galilee. Now, if I were to ask you, how many of you know the capital of Galilee? The capital of Judea, of course, was Jerusalem. What was the capital of Galilee? And most of us would say, I don't have a clue. And the reason is, it's never mentioned in the Bible. I mean, here's the capital of the very province that Jesus grew up in, and yet we never hear of its capital. The capital's name was Sephorus. And Sephorus was located, like I said, about four miles from Nazareth. And most scholars believe that Jesus and his father both likely spent their life not working in a wood shop down in Nazareth, not building tables and chairs. First of all, they didn't eat sitting in a chair at a table like we do. But most likely, Jesus grew up as a construction worker and very likely in the city of Sephorus. There was plenty of work there. And so Jesus was very likely someone who was involved in building, maybe laying rock. I mean, his, his work would have been very strenuous. And, and by doing it, he provided for his family. But then when he turned 30 years old, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but he turns 30 and he goes into the house to Mary and he says, Mom, the time has arrived. A day she knew was coming. She knew at one point in time Jesus would have to set out and, and fulfill the mission that God had given him before the creation of the world. And I can't help but imagine what it was like as he told his brothers goodbye, as he hugged his sisters to head off into his ministry. And, and I can't help but wonder what Mary was thinking when she saw him walking down that, that pathway outside that little village of Nazareth for the last time. Jesus was heading down to see, of all people, John the Baptist. Luke summarizes it very simply here in Luke chapter 3, 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now, I don't know if you've thought about it, but how did that change Jesus' life? I mean, when he left home, when he walked all the way down to the Jordan River, when he went up to John and John said, listen, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me, and Jesus said, we've got to fulfill all righteousness, and they walked down into the water together. How was that going to change his life? And can I say that while we think, well, he's the son of God, he's confident, he, he's completely assured of what he's going to do, can I remind you that he was a human being just like you and me? And so the Bible tells us that Jesus went down and like I said, they had this discussion, you know, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? And, and, and so he allows him to be baptized. And what's amazing is, is that he goes down into the water and, and oftentimes we just read right through this text too fast. In this text, Matthew tells us three things that you and I desperately need to hear in the midst of the craziness we're living in. The first thing you find is right here. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open. And notice he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. The first thing that happened was that God sent his Holy Spirit and anointed Jesus with it. You see, when Jesus left heaven, he had given up his God characteristics, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. All of those things we think about God, Jesus didn't have when he was born of the Virgin Mary there in Bethlehem. He had emptied himself, Paul said. And now the Spirit of God comes back upon him. Why? To empower him to do what God had called him to do. And one of the things we need to remember is that same Spirit that came upon Jesus when he was baptized comes upon us when we're baptized. That's the whole point of Peter in Acts 2.38. You know, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. But then the most important part, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I like the way John describes that very incident. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. I don't know if a lot of us even think about that. But when we came up out of the waters of baptism, God anointed us. Anointed us what with what? With the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say this in verse 27. As for you, the anointing you have received from Him remains in you. We have this incredible gift of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And you do not need anyone to teach you. Now that doesn't mean that we don't need to study or or that we don't need to meditate upon the Word of God. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is at that moment you become children of God and you know already who He is. But as His anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. Here is, is John basically saying we have the Spirit of God given to us just like it was given to Jesus. Why? So that we might keep focused on Jesus, remaining in Him. And boy, if I could say anything to us during this difficult time, stay focused on Jesus. The second thing you see in the text is that when Jesus came up out of the water, God spoke from heaven and He declared, This is My son. Another thing we need to remember is that we are children of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have obeyed the gospel, you are either a son or a daughter of God. And he declares you to be his child. One of the most important phrases, again, back in John, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called Children of God, and that is what we are. I don't know about you, but June and I have two children, two sons. And, and, and we're proud to say that they're our sons. Um, I, I, I love them so very much, and I'm always honored to say these are my boys, especially because both of them are so much taller than I am. You know, they're both six foot tall. Everybody looks at me and says, where in the world did they get their height? And I say, well, it's from June's side of the family. Definitely, uh, y'all may not believe this, but I actually was the tallest person in my family. Uh, My dad was shorter than me. My brother is shorter. My sister is shorter. My mom was five foot two. You know, I am a giant in my family. You know, I know that's hard to believe. 
But when my boys are there, these are my sons. I know what it's like to declare that. We need to remember that we have been declared children of God. My boys, when they were dating, would go out and, you know, as teenagers, and I would say to them, whenever they went out with their friends, remember who you are and whose you are. You're, you're, you're the son of, of your mom and dad, and you belong to Jesus Christ. Boy, it's so important for us to remember that. And then this last one. Not only whom I love, but with whom, with him, I am well pleased. That concept, that last phrase there, and I'd underline the wrong one there, but that last concept, with him, I am well pleased. We need to realize just how much God loves us and is pleased with us. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not graciously give us all things? And then he goes on to talk about, you know, what will separate us from the love of Christ. And he goes through a whole list of things. And we could add to that things that we've experienced over the last four or five months. And the answer, what will separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Neither heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then the phrase that I, I thought I'd left off, here it is, with him I am well pleased. I was raised in a different age. It was an age, and, and, and my family may have been kind of unique in this regards, but we didn't say I love you growing up. That was not part of our vocabulary. We didn't say I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. It was not part of our vocabulary. And, and because of that, I never heard my dad say, I love you. Now, my dad was a wonderful Christian man. And did he love me? Absolutely. But I never heard it. He, he was raised in a time where you just didn't say that. And, and I never heard him say, I'm pleased with you. Son, I'm proud of you. I know he was. I mean, he, he made that abundantly clear in other ways. But he never said it. I love the fact that God said it to Jesus. And I tell people that if Jesus needed to hear, I love you and I'm proud and pleased with you, all of us need to hear that. And, and I love this phrase. It was a parable that Jesus gave. And, and it's a parable of the talents. And, of course, you have this man who comes into his master and his master says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. And boy, if we need to hear anything right now in the midst of this pandemic, it is that God is pleased with us. And He says to us, well done. Number one, we have a spirit. Number two, He loves us. And number three, He's proud of us. He's pleased with us. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus because that's what it's going to give us, get us through this difficult time. We're not going to have an invitation like we, we normally have. Once again, a lot has changed. But if you have any needs at all, I, I'm available. I'm going to leave shortly here and go to my office. But if you need to see me, you can come by the office. You can call me. Uh, Kenneth Walker's here. He's one of our shepherds. Kenneth, raise your hand here if you would. He's available. If you have any need, someone to pray with you, he'd be happy to assist you with that. Once again, thank you for coming. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for being our God. 
Thank you for what Jesus did when he came to this earth. Thank you for his example as he went down into the water. And Father, as you anointed him with the Spirit, you anoint us. And as you declared him your son, you declare us your children. And Father, we pray too that we will be well-pleasing to you in all that we do. Continue to be with our church family. Bless your church all around the world. Help us, Father, to be light in the midst of this incredible darkness and to be salt in the midst of a world that desperately needs it. Continue to bless us this day, we pray in Jesus' name.